known universe with its heroes and marvels. But what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. everyone you're listening to tomb of ideas a marvel horror podcast my name is trey lawson ho 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 and my name is james hickson that's right and we are celebrating the winter season here at tomb of ideas and uh in in the spirit of the season james uh, i just i have a little something here for you oh trey you shouldn't have you got the wish list i sent you right <laughs> it's um little flat for a ps5 yeah i don't think i don't what once you see it you'll understand but i don't think it could be considered next generation by any stretch of the imagination oh no not a box set of star trek the original series okay let me let me (laughs) uh, i'll open it hey it's Marvel Holiday Special from 1991. I had this as a kid. Right? I thought you'd talked about it before. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, like, one Christmas, my parents gave me, like, this huge box of comic books. And it must have been, like, I, I feel like it was 1992. But it was, like, a huge box of comic books. And it had this issue in it. It had the 1992 Holiday Special in it. Uh, and it also had a bunch of Spider-Man and X-Men comics from around this time. It had, like, all of Executioner's song. Um, it had a lot. I mean, a lot of comics about Spider-Man's parents. Yeah, that sounds about right for 1991. Yeah. Um, and for those of you, for those of you, like, somebody on Twitter I saw the other day who's like, Spider-Man's parents? I thought Spider-Man's parents were dead. Oh, man. It becomes a whole thing. S.H.I.E.L.D. gets involved. Right. It leads right into the Clone Saga, by the way. It does. It does. Like, and in the aftermath, Spider-Man's still doing the Grimdark thing. Yeah. We, we, we won't... But there's there's a really... There's actually a really fun cover from somewhere in that era that has the Parkers in kind of a James Bond pose. That is the um, Untold Tales of Spider-Man. That's right. That, was, that was the, the retroactive one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which ignores the whole chameleon since clone slash robots to fuck with Peter Parker thing. Right, right. As it probably should. Yeah. To be to be clear, this will probably be the only time we ever talk about it on the podcast, because there is Marvel Horror, and there's Marvel Horrible. <laughs> but the cover on this this 91 holiday special is great. I, I love the, the very kind of 90s style of all of these characters as they chase Santa Claus. Oh yeah, that's Arthur Adams. Yeah, good stuff. It, like, this cover, like, I have had this cover as like a holiday desktop background before. It is a fantastic cover. And you've got Captain America's, like, stop that bearded man! And Wolverine's like, yeah, 
No one gets me a lump of coal in this, Bob. Good stuff. Pretty great. And it's one of those wraparound covers that, that turns into like a, a two-page spread. So there's plenty of room to feature all of your favorites. So you've got Thor and Spider-Man and, like you said, Cap and Wolverine. Uh, the Danny Ketch Ghost Rider is there. Yep. Lots of good stuff. So speaking of all those characters, they're all in this issue. Yeah. Uh, we've got... You know, I've never actually read this comic. What? It's not one that I ever encountered as a kid. Oh, we got to fix that. Uh, tell well, you what, folks, we're going to take a quick break and where you hear some special holiday messages from us. And we're going to be right back where we'll be talking about X-Men in a miracle a few blocks down from 32nd Street. Right after these messages. Where am I? In the Palace of Glittering Delights. Who are you? I am Andrew Leyland, and for over 200 episodes, I have covered everything genre-related, from the obvious things that everyone talks about, Star Trek, to deep dives into the early issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, via the obscure, such as ITC's experimental science fiction dramas The Champions or Department S. It's very cosmopolitan, you never know who you meet next. In the Palace of Glittering Delights... Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Available from Two True Freaks and via your podcatcher of choice. Buy yourself another X-Men Though the price is right From now on Sort orders will be twice the size Buy yourself another X-Men spin-off Make your parents pay. You'll be reading 24 hours a day. You are going out of your mind, trying hard to find. Comic stores may be all sold out, so stand up and shout, get more! Through the years, we only have uncanny, pausing quite the stir. Now factor force and don't forget Excalibur. So buy yourself another X-Men spin-off now. You're an X-Man, okay? Name him. Wolverine, Cyclops, Beast, Gambit, Rogue, 
Electro, Magneto, Cable, Storm, Professor X, Phoenix, Bishop, Archangel, Apocalypse, Iceman. You forgot some. Mr. Sinister, Omega, Red, Colossus, Juggernaut, Weapon X, Storm, Longshot, Pyro, Gladiator. Name them. Join them. Collect them. The X-Men Collection. Sold separately. Welcome back to Believers. Our first story is the X-Men in a miracle a few blocks down from 34th Street. Writer is Scott Lobdell. Artist is Dave Cockrum. Inker is Joy Rubenstein. Letter is Roxanne Starr. And Patty Cockrum, the all-new, all-different X-Men, are celebrating what looks to be their first Christmas together, decorating a tree in Xavier's mansion when Cerebro goes off, alerting the X-Men to a new, very powerful mutant somewhere in downtown New York. With Professor Xavier away on a fishing trip, really, (laughs) the X-Men go to investigate and find themselves at a local mall. There, they encounter the Blob, Eunice the Untouchable, Mastermind, and Toad. Recognizing the all-new, all-different X-Men, there's a big fighty fight, and all of a sudden, the bad guys are turned into action figures. Specifically, like, Toy Biz action figures. Like, all the articulation points are there. <laughs> and they are picked up by what looks to be a mall Santa. Um, the X-Men tell the Santa they're looking for a powerful mutant, and Santa responds, a mutant choosing sides now during the season to be jolly? Not likely, but I'm sure when you find what you're looking for, it'll be right under your nose. And with a twitching of Santa's nose, the X-Men disappear, reappearing at Rockefeller Center, where we resume with the first splash page from X-Men 98. This is such a weird way to kick off an anthology book. It is so very weird, because it takes place in a very specific time in the X-Men's history. Yeah, as indicated by the final panel, right? Right which is a direct lift from the first page of X-Men 98, which at the point this issue is put out was almost a 20-year-old comic book. Right, and I guess what's really kind of, I don't, disconcerting is not the word, but the the weird thing about this is you've got um, like a 1991 story set in the past. Yeah. So it's it's a flashback story, but they got the original artist. Yeah. They got Dave Cockrum. Like, Cockrum did the issue that comes right after where this stops. Yeah. This is before... Along with, you know, most of the rest of that that, uh, run, so... Yeah, this is right before the Burn Claremont. Right. And, I mean, it's a fine story. It's weird. And it's a little... Yeah. It's a little bit horrifying what happens to the the bad guys at the end. Right. Right. Um, another bit of continuity that I really appreciated was uh, Eunice and Banshee freaking out at each other. Yeah. Um, because that this goes all the way back to, like, early days of X-Men, but, like, Silver Age stuff. Uh, but, if you remember, one of B- Banshee's first appearance, I think, Banshee's first appearances was as a brainwashed member of Factor 3, and Eunice was also a member of Factor 3. Oh, God, I haven't thought about Factor 3 three and like forever right but that's where they know each other from at this point oh wow you're right i think maybe because you know the 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 cockroach 
run doesn't get maybe as much love as the burn run when burn comes on a few in a few issues. Sure. I think for one thing, the thing this is this comic or this era is most known for is that splash page on the last page, which is all the X Men for Christmas, which is really iconic. Yeah. yeah. Um, Alex Ross did a um, adaptation of it. Uh, I think. Oh in right, Marvels. right. And part of the part of the appeal of it is you see a bunch of Marvel stalwarts like there, Matt Murdock is in that crowd shot hidden somewhere. And Fury is too, Nick right? Fury, Nick yeah. Fury? Yeah. So it's a rather iconic page. So it gets shared a lot, especially once Alex Ross does a cover of it. Right, right. Um, so so what we are saying here, canonically, is that there is a high-powered mutant in the Marvel Universe 616 who at the very least resembles Santa Claus. Yeah, like Santa Claus... But speaking of Santa Claus, he seems surprised that the X-Men teleport away. But isn't he the one sending them away? Yes. Cause he tweet he I feel like I feel like this is the Marvel method gone wrong. Yes. Like the artist intended something and the writer did not pick up on it. Like Santa does the Twitch. Right. Like he he does a Samantha. And it they did they disappear and reappear in winter clothes, by the way, with no mm-hmm. memory of how they got there. Right, which has to be the doing of Chris Kringle. Yes. Which is how he introduces himself. Yes. It's... Also, I'm not wrong, am I? The, the, the action figures they get turned into look exactly like they were if they, if they were made by Toy Biz. Yeah, it, it looks like the early 90s X-Men figures. Yeah. Guys, if you weren't around in the early 90s, Toy Biz X-Men figures were everywhere. I Two of my favorites were I had... Uh, Wolverine in the brown costume, mm-hmm. not the yellow, the brown, yeah. um, with a clip-on mask. Ooh. Like he had a mask that would pop on and off. Yeah. Um, and there were little tabs on his arms that would release the claws. I wanted the Wolverine, but the only one I could get is the Weapon X Wolverine. So oh, yeah. I had the Weapon My X Wolverine. My cousin had that one. Eventually, I got the one I really wanted, which was Cyclops. Leave me, on, leave me alone. So, I like Cyclops. Which, which Cyclops did you have? I had... Um, I did have the 90s look, like the animated series look, Cyclops. Okay, with the yellow sash. And, yellow sash. Yeah. But he did have the button you press in the back that made his, light, his visor light up. Okay, because mine was... And as a kid, I, this might be why I prefer this costume, but the one I had, even though the cartoon was airing at the time, mm-hmm. uh, was the Walt Simonson X-Factor design with the, the blue and white. Yeah. Um. So I did have the Cyclops visor, which mm-hmm. was the classic um, Burn Claremont era um, Cyclops mask with like the right. blue skull cap front and a visor. Because apparent, right? Because even though like there was no part of that mask that needed that little forehead part to be right, that was just there to like for the padding, right? But I had that, and it made sounds, and I loved it. <laughs> um. But like they even like reference the fact that uh, now I know how I make, I make those action figures. If so, Wolverine, <laughs> I hope they never do the X Men. <laughs> um, another thing that occurred to me reading through this, uh, specifically, this is the bottom of page two. Two. Okay. The the most annoying place to be in all of the Marvel universe is flying next to Banshee <laughs> while he's midair. <laughs> You're you're not wrong. Yeah, that would be terrible. 
Like, poor Storm. Yeah. In that panel. Yeah. That It makes a great visual, but really, you're right. Like, this is why I don't think <laughs> Banshees have really been done in, like, the cartoons or anywhere else really that well, because it's basically a guy going, ah! <laughs> like, propelled by the, by the rage of his voice. <laughs> they tried it in First Class, the movie, and they just didn't bring him back after that. <laughs> he should go on the talk radio. <laughs> I'm, I was also just trying to piece together this, ver- like, when did this version of the Brotherhood come to be? Because it's, it's, it's Eunice and Toad and Blob, but without Magneto. Mm-hmm. Or, or any like there, there's no there's no clear leader to this team I guess I would say Eunice seems to have taken charge I guess Mastermind might be the leader but I don't know it's a weird arrangement for the Brotherhood here it is and I don't know of all the stories in this in this comic it's it's actually one of the more forgetful ones uh, forgettable the, like, again the idea the idea of a Chris Kringle mutant is a cute idea like that that's clever yeah. They don't really do much with it no. beyond beyond doing a kind of like untold tales of Spider-Man sort of thing, right? Like they're, they're just filling in a gap between issues. Hold on, I'm going to look and see if Santa Claus, Chris Kringle, is canonically a mutant in the Marvel universe. Good luck. I tried. Um, the Santa Claus page on the Marvel database wiki is confusing. Holy Jesus Christ. Santa has appeared a lot yeah, yes. in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yes. There's a so there is a tab for legendary figure Saint Nicholas. There's a tab that I'm not gonna mention because I think we're gonna get to it later. There's World War II, there's Shield, there's X-Men, there's Howard the Duck. Like, yeah. Wow. He's got an appearance with the Great Lakes uh, uh when there were the Great Lakes X-Men. Wow. Yep. That is uh 26 appearances. Okay, then. Going going all the way back to Strange Tales 34. Notes. Given that Santa Claus was the most powerful mutant ever registered by Cerebro, there is a possibility that Santa is an Omega-level mutant. So, obviously, what I want to see now is Santa versus Galactus. <laughs> I Somebody has to have drawn that. Hold on. The Devourer of Worlds versus the Devourer of Milk and Cookies. Oh, that's good. Oh, uh, I've seen Santa Claus Galactus mashup art. Yes, that's a thing. That is a thing. Somebody has apparently done a YouTube video on it ah. for one of those YouTube fight channels. Who would win? Hmm. But I want to see art. Right. So, of our listeners out there, if you have the capability, I want to see Santa fight Galactus. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a chance that Santa is in fact secretly Earth's greatest hero. Yes. Yes. Anyway, so our next segment, guys. What? Guys, got got got. What's that? Look, this has been going on now for over a month, guys. You what? not stopped the call from when we did Tomb of Ideas. What? It's not. I, I presume there was just some kind of glitch or something. But all I can hear are your goddamn voices every time I walk past the computer. Andy Leyland. Andy. Yes, I'm sat. I'm just reading the Christmas comic. I'm minding my own business, and all of a sudden, I hear you two rabbiting Wait. on. You have you been here since the last episode? The, no, he's been here since the Star Trek episode. No, oh wow, I'm not, that's not, been so not, long. Not constantly, but still. So, so it's oh. it's not a bottle under the desk situation. 
no, no, no. Oh, I've, good, I've been goodness. away and come back. And, and originally I was like, why, where are these voices in my head? That These are different voices than normal. What's going on? <laughs> um, we're doing a Christmas episode. I'm reading a Christmas comic. Oh, that's giving it. Yeah. yeah. What, what Christmas comic are you reading? I'm reading this old Marvel Comics Christmas special thing. Did you know? I did not know that Art Adams did a Fantastic Four story in this comic. Oh, yeah. It's the same comic we're reading. Get out of town. That's an amazing coincidence. Wow. Everything happens for a reason. Indeed. Yeah. I hope you guys haven't been paying for this call, though. I, 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 I Gosh. Have. Uh, <laughs> I'd be checking oh your no. bills if I were you. Oh, dear. Uh, I guess the children don't need Christmas gifts this year. Nah, screw it. <laughs> well, that's actually a very poignant segue there. <laughs> yeah, Andy, why don't you tell us about the story? Yeah, it's it's really fun. Franklin and Sue Richards are out shopping. I have no idea what Franklin, uh, sorry, what Sue's wearing. She seems to have just <laughs> gone belly dancing. It's jazzercise. It's winter jazzercise yeah, gear. <laughs> but she's wearing a very strange hat. Um, as they're out shopping, she she kind of tries to teach Franklin the whole spirit of Christmas, but he stumbles across an old guy in an alley, and the old guy seems to keep fading in and out of existence. So Franklin tries to help him by encountering strange people that may be ghosts or may not be ghosts, and he learns the whole spirit of Christmas, and at the end reads like, was that Charles Dickens? Yeah, so... And that's pretty much it. Do the British actually fetishize Charles Dickens around Christmas as much as I've been led to believe by various Christmas specials? (laughs) No! (laughs) We re-show Muppet Christmas Carol and that's us done. (laughs) You know, maybe we'll show the Alistair Sim Christmas Carol. Maybe one of the channels will show Patrick Stewart one. Sure. But, you know... And Patrick Stewart had that that run for a while of of one-man show versions, right? Yes, yes, he did, yeah. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, no. <laughs> We're actually bored of versions of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Netflix is doing one this year. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's it's the it's the Robin Hood thing, right? It's public domain, and so you don't have to pay anybody anything to do it. <laughs> no, so everybody does it. The $6 million man did an episode based around The Christmas Carol. Good Lord. That's how far back it's been going. Uh, I- so that said... I do appreciate that by invoking a Christmas carol, we get a little bit of spookiness in this one because there's a ghost. Yes, there is. This whole story is just fun. Yeah, it is. Walter Simonson wrote it. I should have mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Art Adams drew it. Al Milgram inked it. Brad Joyce lettered it and Maddie Javins coloured it. And it is just a nice little, sweet little seven page, six, seven page Christmas story. And the art's lovely. Franklin looks great. Sue looks hot. I'll give her that. Yeah. Even though I have no idea what those boots are. Because they don't look <laughs> well, like... Well, it is very much a snapshot of 1991 comics aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> Sue's been doing jazzercise. What is that hat? <laughs> it, it's, it's like, a, it's like have... one of those Russian hats. It's not a pillbox. I guess. I mean... No, and it's not a beret. Franklin is already super smart, and he's aware that it's all about the branding. So he's got a fantastic poor <laughs> bobble hat. Which is yes, great. I wouldn't mind having one of those. No, I, I think one of those. Marvel are missing a trait, though. That seems like something you could market quite easily. I also just love the ex-mutant killer crocodile franchise. <laughs> so much. I I, I, re- I remember that cartoon series. Very catchy theme tune. I, <laughs> as a kid, when I had this comic as a kid, I stared at that panel for like the longest <laughs> time. Like, it's Ninja Turtles. 
but it's not Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I was completely unaware of the idea of pastiche. Well, and and it's it's the snake eating its tail, right? Because Ninja Turtles was a parody of Daredevil. <laughs> Yeah, because the Ninja Turtles were created in the same radioactive spillage that give Matt Murdock his powers. It's, yep. Right. Yep. I lo- good cross-pollination here as well on page 10. That's the Batmobile, right? Oh, it totally is the Batmobile. On the, on the scale It is, yes. Yeah. I yes. mean, they've not coloured it like the Batmobile. But but it's got the fin. But it's definitely the Batmobile. Yep. yep. I-, I love that <laughs> Ben Grimm got the Batmobile for Christmas. Yeah, because why would he know? Yes. Oh, I missed the Batmobile at the at the toy store. Yeah, yeah, at the toy store. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because there's a Batmobile at the toy store, but the, there's also the Batmobile on Christmas Day. Uh, ben calls it the Ratsmobile. Yeah, the Ratsmobile. Right. But yeah. yeah, that's what's on the scale electric set earlier. You know, it's been established that Ben is Jewish, but I love yeah. that he I love right. that he practices Christmas with the family. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll I'll, I'll take gifts. Yeah. It, it's it's very much the whole like first family of Marvel thing, right? That of course they're going to sit down and enjoy a celebration together. I'm sorry. Yeah. Did Johnny get a sculpture of himself for Christmas? Of course he did, because he's Johnny still. That's right. He's also, like, in full uniform. Like, at least the others have on, like, sweaters and shirts and things over their uniforms. I was just going to say, I know superhero costumes are a little bit pajama-like, but do they really sleep in them? <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's... <laughs> He's still married to Alicia here. Yeah, not a scroll, right. not a scroll yet. No, not a scroll. Right. Yeah, we're not at the point where she's a scroll. Uh, Reed has gone missing, and Namor is hanging around. No, it did. Well, that's. I mean, you can drop it in anywhere in that run, really, because it's just a nice little, mostly continuity-free story. It is. I have no idea how old Franklin's supposed to be here, but I don't think Marvel know how old Franklin's supposed to be. So they've, you know. For decades, they've not they've been struggling with that. One, yeah, so. it's it's like he vacillates between four and fourteen, right? Yeah, it's 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 sweet. It's just a nice little, fairly secular like spirit of Christmas is about caring about other people kind of message, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, and of course we get a nice little splash page with the FF on the who's that splash page by? Can anybody identify the artist on that one? The which page is that? The poster at the end. Yeah, the the the, the pinup. Right, let's have a see. Cause it Pin- well, it says pinups by Darren Ark, Kelly Corvisi, Ron Friends, Tom Grindberg, Rick Levens, Marie Severin, and Rurik Tyler. So it doesn't credit who actually did what. But if they're in order, is that the second poster or the first one? That's the first one, isn't it? Yeah. So if they're in order, then if I go all the way back to page one and they're not in alphabetical order, then that's Darren right. Ark, who I have never heard of. No, me neither. It's fine. He's trying to do his best Kirby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's a fun little poster. I like that you can't see Johnny. You can <laughs> only see that he's there and he's lighting Ben Cigar with his finger. Yes. So that's quite funny. But it, it also has a vibe of... Um, it's also got a bit of a Steve Rude vibe to it, that. Yeah. As well, and I like that the snowball's coming directly in his head from Yancey Street. Oh, Severin! Right. There you go, it's signed. Oh. It's signed on the awning over the shop on the I very right hand yeah. side. So, Marie Severin. Far right side of the page. Yeah. So, Marie Severin did that. That makes sense. It's good. I like yeah, it. It's it's quite a fun little Christmas poster. I don't know that health and safety wouldn't be having a word with uh, Reed and Sue about allowing Franklin to ride on top of the Christmas tree. Yeah. <laughs> You know, maybe child protection services would be involved in some way. 
Right. Um, in this one, Sue is definitely wearing a beret. <laughs> yes. Yes. She looks a lot classier here than she did in the uh, the Art Adams one. But and has an overcoat on, maybe over her uniform. Hard to tell. Yeah. The boots are white, though. And uh, Reed doffs his cap to us. So that's quite nice. Yes. Yep. So the implication here is somebody took a selfie of them and the Fantastic Four be nice people have just gone, Hi! Hi! You're <laughs> intruding on our private Christmas time. Hi! <laughs> but, it, but, we're, but we're fine with that. So that's yeah. okay. No leash though, though. Very good. No. Very good timing on the photograph to get that snowball <laughs> midair. <laughs> I suspect that was planned. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a guy on Yancey Street going, right, take the photo in three, two, go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, it may honestly be my favorite story in the, in the special. It's, it's, it's tons of fun. Like I said, I stared at it forever as a kid and Arthur Adams artwork is just so good. I actually did ask, um, Walt Simonson if he remembered anything about, uh, doing the story and, it says, I don't remember much about it other than the actual story I wrote and Arthur drew. I sure, I'm sure I was asked if I wanted to write an FF story for the book, but I have no idea what the impetus for the book itself was. I was asking about the motivation behind the Christmas issue, and I think it's just because this started a, a run of them for for several yeah. years, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was actually, I actually found out looking at the text piece later, it's actually part of um, a tradition because they used to have the Marvel Holiday Grab Bag. Um, oh, the treasuries! Yes! Yeah. yeah, 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 the treasury editions. So, we need to get those now, Trey. We, we should we should check those out. But yeah, this was sort of like a, a modernized sort of revival of, of that. Right. Yeah, but the treasury editions, this is better in many ways, because these are all yes. new stories. Right, because the treasury would just be reprints. Yeah, there may be one new story, but yeah, the rest would just be reprints. Uh, but it's it's just hard to get much better than... Simonson and Adams doing a short little FF story. Yeah, because Adams is one of those art, right, uh, artists, sorry. You think he should have had a longer run on the Fantastic Four? I mean, I know he's, he's, he's not the most timely of artists, but it's, <laughs> it strikes me as if you're going to have somebody who'd have a decent run on the FF, it would be him. And it's sad that he's only ever done a couple of issues, really. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a fun story. And Andy, thank you so much for joining us for it, although I guess you really didn't have a choice in it. No, no. You... <laughs> yes, we're, we're sorry. We we will actually disconnect this time. I was gonna, we promise. I was going to say you're going to remember to cut off this time. Yeah, we'll we'll, right. we'll do it now. Go 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 see your family. Okay. Yes. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you too. Happy Bye-bye. holidays. Looks like the next story in this issue is a Punisher story. Not really what I associate with the Christmas season, but here goes. Oh boy. Uh, title is Mid- Midnight Drear. Fair. Written by Stephen Grant, art by Klaus Jansen, letters by Phil Felix. And so it is, I guess, Christmas night, and there's a group of desperate people, impoverished with nowhere to go, under uh, a bridge as trains go by overhead, and the Punisher is giving one of his signature grimdark monologues through caption boxes. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile... A group of Caribbean criminals, I guess, are making some sort of handoff yeah. with with another crime boss. And it seems like there's some dispute over payment and the way they're treating each other. But 
it turns out that amongst the crowd, Punisher has been lurking, waiting for this deal to go down. And so as the the briefcase is changing hands, Punisher leaps into action. Um, he leaves the Caribbean criminals alone, because as far as he knows, they have not killed anybody yet. Uh, but he goes after the other criminals. Um, he kills at least one of them. The others get into a car. Punisher chases after them on foot. Uh, kills another one through the windshield, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but is but is shot in the chest, knocking him off the windshield. And Punisher looks up just in time to see the car explode because the Caribbean criminals had actually planted a bomb inside the briefcase of money. And so the, the car in flames rolls off the bridge uh, and the money that was in that case, which I guess has survived the explosion, right. is now raining down. What? Right? Like- right. The, the, the money, which has magically... It, Christmas magic, Christmas miracle. This money is now raining down on the impoverished people below. Yeah. Um, and the Punisher muses to himself that they need it more than he does. And that uh, Christmas comes when it comes. Enjoy it while you can. The end. Yeah, there's no way that money would survive that explosion. If right, It should all be singed, yeah, at least. It sh- I mean, like, you see that some of the money is aflame. Right. But there's no way... Because theoretically, the money is, like, the thing closest to the explosion. Because yeah. it's in the case. Yes. So it should all have just been incinerated first. Yes. It makes no sense. But yay Christmas. Yay Christmas. Uh, I mean, we're both on the record how we feel about the Punisher. Yeah. It's... And at least, at least I will say, this is early 90s... Punisher at probably his most superhero-y. Mm-hmm. Like, this this is before Marvel Max really went super grimdark with Punisher. Yeah. But he's still not my favorite. No. And, I mean, the best thing about this is the Klaus Janssen artwork, like you, like you were saying off air. And... Yeah, yeah. It, it's just... The, the nice thing about Punisher is it's just some dude. It's just some dude. And the way you make that appealing to me is you have him go up against, like, super villains like mm-hmm. i really enjoyed that punisher story we read in what if a few weeks a few months back where it was yeah. punisher getting the power getting basically the powers of sorcerer supreme taking on the vampire marvel universe right yeah well and even even if not a straight up super villain at the very least what you want to see is punisher against seemingly insurmountable odds yes like like the kingpin with all of his goons, like Punisher mobilizing against an entire like mafia organization or something. Yeah, these guys are not a challenge for Frank Howard. No, well, and it, so it, it sort of this story falls apart on on two levels. One, it's not Christmassy enough for you to be able to hand wave away the action not working. Yeah, because because you don't even get a satisfying Christmas story. Mm-hmm. But you could hand wave away at not being a satisfying Christmas story if it at least was a better action story. Yes. But because it's not effectively doing either, it's kind of hedging on both. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot to it. it, it it's like I say, you've got a little bit of grim, dark narration. You've got a perfunctory, like one page shootout followed by a two page chase. And then the story's over. Yeah, it's OK. It, Best thing about it, other than the, the well, I guess, 
other than the Jansen art, is uh, the the pinup that follows. Like that's not a bad Punisher pinup. Yeah, and if you follow our Instagram, that's at Tomb of Ideas, you yeah. will have seen this pinup. Uh, probably right. it's, probably posted uh, Friday. Yeah, it's the the one with with Punisher on the rooftop with all of the presents sticking out of the chimney. It's it's a good one, including some Marvel comic books. Yeah, helpfully labeled as comic books. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we are celebrating the holiday season with Thor, God of Thunder, right after these messages. People of Earth, we, Mashinra, have consented to aid you in repelling the Shinko and regaining your freedom. We ask your cooperation and allow us access to your resources and manpower. We call to all able-bodied humans to join us in the Earth Defense Force and promise we will use our technology to optimize you to fight back against those dastardly invaders. Together, their intention is to take over our planet and convert you into their pawns in a continuing march of intergalactic conquest. They want our resources to enrich their own society, and they want you to become their soldiers so they won't have to get their hands dirty. People have died uncovering the truth, and we, the United Human Alliance, call for a planetary revolution to repel these cybernetic creatures, restore our freedom, and make sure that these needless deaths were meaningful. I am Arlene Harper. Here on Planet R Radio is where you will find the real story. Stay tuned to this frequency for further reports on this domination from space. Domination from Space, coming in 2023 from 8TW Theater Works. Episodes will be available on 2TrueFreaks.com, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, PodBay, and wherever quality podcasts are available for streaming. For further information, please go to 8TWTheater.blogspot.com. And she's always loud. Silence race has changed. Storm is one with clouds. You could call it strange. Beast has got blue fur. Nightcrawler's got a tail. Highlands are barbarian, but why throw them in jail? Mutant hunts, mutant hunts have them in a rage. Why are non-mutes making laws to put them in a cage? Mutant hunts, mutant hunts, why they're just the worst. Everyone is racing to see who kills one first. Iceman seems so cold. Polaris has green hair. Logan's very old. No wonder people stare. Rogue looks like a skunk. Phoenix is a mess. Jubilee's a punk. And we're just prejudice. Mutant hunts, mutant hunts, have them in a rage. Why are not mutes making laws to put them in a cage? Mutant hunts, mutant hunts, they are just the worst. Everyone is racing to see who kills one first. 
Thor. Whoever wields this hammer shall possess powers like the mighty superhero. Summon booming thunder. Launch flying bolts and call forth the lightning. Battle like Thor with a lightning hammer and helmet, each sold separately. Up next on this holiday episode of Tomb of Ideas, we have a Thor story. This is a tale of Asgard called Twas a Midwinter's Night, written by Tom DeFalco, art by Sal Bashema, letters by Roxanne Starr, and the colorist is Glynis Oliver. And we open with a Norse ship lost at sea being tossed by a storm. On the ship is Sigurd, who is trying to get home to his family for the Midwinter's Feast, but he and his crew are convinced they will not survive the night, and if they don't make it, uh, the village will not survive because they are carrying the provisions that the village needs. Um, Meanwhile, Sigurd's bride is praying to Odin that he spare the ship and deliver them safely to the village. In Asgard, Odin and Thor are hanging out with the vizier, and they ask to be shown the the newest threat to the realm eternal. Uh, and so the vizier calls up on the universal enchanto screen, asteroid that is headed for the planet. A very Kirby-looking asteroid. It is, it w- in a very Kirby-looking starfield. Exactly. And Odin remarks that he cannot sense wh- what has propelled uh, this asteroid. It doesn't seem to be natural. It seems to be caused by something. And just then, Grylak the Greater appears before them uh, and claims responsibility for sending the asteroid on its on its path. Thor immediately jumps into action and tries to smash the creature with his hammer, but Odin tells him to stop and instead hears out what, uh, what Grylak has to say. Grylak reveals that in order to prove that Odin's claim to omniscience is a lie, he has concentrated his magic for ages, waiting for just the right moment to release this asteroid to prove that Odin is not all-powerful. He can't stop everything. And as and by proving this, Grylak will assume his place among the gods. Thor wants to know why Odin wouldn't let him attack. And Odin says, you have to be patient. I have a plan. And so we cut back to uh, Midgard, Earth, where Sigurd's bride is still waiting for her husband to return. Uh, She sets up a tree of life at their fireplace, uh, the symbol for the coming spring of rebirth and renewal. And she once again prays to Odin to return her husband to the village. Odin seems to hear this prayer, since the caption bot carries over to the next page, and Odin gives his son a mission. He tells Thor to gather... Uh, their best foods, wines, and linens. And Thor is a little bit upset that he's been being given such a peaceful task. Yeah. But he does so. And then we cut back to Grylak, who, again, in a very Kirby-looking vision of outer space, is awaiting Odin's decision. The asteroid passes by. Grylak takes this as a sign that uh, Odin has chosen not to give in to the demands, and so they will be destroyed by the asteroid. But just then, Mjolnir flies in and smacks Grylak in the face. <laughs> and Od- and Thor reveals that, for reasons of his own, Odin told Thor to wait until this very moment to destroy the asteroid. And so, he throws his hammer, and Mjolnir strikes the asteroid, and it explodes. 
The explosion of the asteroid creates a new star in the sky, which guides Sigurd and his men back to their home through the storm. Yep. Meanwhile, in the village, Sigurd's wife hears a noise and in the shadows sees a figure leaving something near the fireplace. At first, she suspects a robbery, but no, he's leaving things, not taking them. He vanishes in a flash of light, and she and her mother discover that they have been left with food and clothing and everything that they need, just as their men return from their voyage. Sigurd arrives on the shore, his wife embraces him, and above, flying by overhead, is Odin in his cloak, in his carriage, pulled by his magical goats. And he says, a good midwinter to all, and to all a good life. Looking all the bit like Santa. Right, which is in fact where some of the Santa traditions come from, is Norse mythology. Yeah. Of course, as a young child in 1992, I had no clue about this. And <laughs> I will say, this story confused the hell out of me. So it's, it's weird on a couple levels. One... That it's it's sort of playing with the roots of Santa mythology, like going back to some of the the older traditions that the Santa Claus mm-hmm. stories draw from. And see, folks, but it's this is why I'm glad weird. I have somebody for um, Middle English, um, Old English masters. And well, so the, 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 there's this whole thing where the idea was that Odin would travel, and children would leave um, would leave out things for his animals to eat to sustain them on his travels but that gifts had to be returned in kind and so odin would leave sweets and and presents and things for the children uh in return for the provisions they gave to his animals Mm -hmm. and that's one of the one of the many origins of the the gift giving stuff Mm -hmm. but anyway so so that's one of the weird parts is is that it's delving into pre-santa traditions of a magical figure leaving presents yeah The other weird thing about it is that, as I said at the beginning, it's not just a Thor story. It's one of the tales of Asgard. It's a Thor story set in ancient Norse times. Which, I have to say, as I'm doing my read-through of old Silver Age Marvel, I always hate this tales of Asgard. They're kind of rough. Yeah. Honestly, that's one area where things got better post-Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. Like, there, there have been good... Thor stories set in ancient times, but the, but not really the ones from those original Silver Age books. Yeah, specifically because none of it is actual Norse mythology. Right, they're making it up as they go along. Yeah. Also, what really did not help 1992 me is the fact that um, Seeger, Sigurd looks a whole hell of a lot like Thor. He does. They both have the same long blonde hair. The outfits are even similar, just different colors. Yeah. And even on top of that, Odin is wearing the winged helm that looks an awful lot like what I would usually expect Thor to be wearing. Yeah. Which is not Odin's usual helmet. And because kids are dumb, I, I thought that was Thor at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, why wouldn't you? It says Stan Lee presents the mighty Thor, and he's the first guy you see. Yeah. Plus, you know, at this point, my reading wasn't quite up to snuff. I didn't really learn to read until, like, around this time. Actually, I learned to read on comic books like this one, yeah. 100% one of the first words I could recognize in print was Superman. There you go. But yeah, I mean, but as a tale of Asgard, sort of looking at it now, it's a cute story. It's cute. 
And looking at it as an adult, it's honestly a real standout in a story. Because yeah, yeah. I like that they're... As you said, the art is, is fun in a sort of Kirby-inspired kind of way. Yep. It's Tom DeFalco, which, yep. you know, he's early 90s Tom DeFalco is going to give you a good story. Yep. And like you said, it's that great Sal Buscema artwork. So yeah. really good stuff. And as an adult, I like that they are pulling from kind of like the pagan view of Midwinter. Yeah. It's nice. It isn't all, you know, Judeo-Christian holiday. And it was even nicer, right. like, the, in the 1992 Christmas one, they actually bring a Hanukkah story in. Oh, that's nice. It is that's nice. nice. It really is. And you do start to see more of that as they go along. Yeah. There's a there's a great one, one of the later ones, where um, they explore, like, the Fantastic Four realize that Ben has been celebrating Christmas with them, like we see in this issue. Um, right. All these years, but they never take the effort to, like, celebrate Hanukkah with him. Right. So they, they're trying to, like, do all these Hanukkah traditions, and they're not quite getting it right. It, it's it's a cute one. Hmm. Um, the one thing I'll say, that, that and it didn't even really occur to me until I was narrating the story out loud, is that all of the women in the story go unnamed. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. You're not wrong. <laughs> it, it's... That, that's the weakest part of the story. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, what, one, two, three, four, it's short. five, six, seven, eight. It's an eight-page story. Right, right. I will say, I do like the design of the little monster troll guy, Grylac. He's yeah. pretty fun. He is. He looks kind of like a demonic version of one of the little troll dolls. Oh, that's that. That's good. Yeah, I, I see that now. Okay, yeah. Plus, you have this fantastic, fantastic pinup in the back of the story. Oh yeah, pinups real good. This is one of the best pinups in the issue by far. Yep, it's Ron Friends and Patrick Olaf. Uh, I think so. Yeah, and and it's very much '90s Thor with the beard and the helmet that has a mask built into it. That's Eric Masterson, right? I believe so. That would be the right era. Yeah, pre Thunderstrike, Eric Masterson. Right when when he is Thor. Yeah. Yep. So a fun, fun story, and yeah, and very much distinct from everything else in the book. So then we have this little text piece, right, by Barry Dutter, big jingle bell ringing Barry Dutter, where he kind of talks about the legacy of the Marvel Christmas special or the Marvel Holiday special. This, right, that, that that this is not sort of a first for Marvel, but it's an evolution of a thing they used to do. Yeah, and he mentions the giant superhero holiday grab bag, which Andy talked about earlier. Right, right, those those lovely treasury editions in the mid-70s. You know, I really got to track down one of those treasury editions. Yeah, I think Heroes and Dragons used to have some of them. There's a, they have a section for treasuries now. Okay. Uh, I, I know a while back I picked up the original Superman Spider-Man Treasury Edition. Oh, you lucky duck. <laughs> oh, no. So they've got one that, as far as I know, is not for sale because it was part of a special promotion. Uh, this was the early days of this kind of thing even being a thing. The promotion was supposed to be that it was going to be signed by Stan Lee and uh, I think Carmine Infantino, maybe. Oh, wow. But... By the time, by the, and, and that, so that's what the deal was. By the time they got around to doing it, Infantino was no longer with DC. Oh. And so the, so the comic is signed by Stan Lee, dated by Stan Lee, 
and there's a letter inside of it explaining the situation and apologizing. Oh, wow. Which just seems like an incredibly rare thing. I've never seen a book like that. <laughs> wow. That is, an, that is an incredible artifact right there. Right. But, uh, but yeah, so Treasury Editions are cool. I, I am endlessly fascinated by the Treasury Editions. The one I'm keeping an eye out for right now is a good copy of the Batman-Hulk crossover. Oh. Which is sometimes a little harder to come by than the Superman-Spider-Man one, because it's not as famous. Okay. Wonder Woman shows up in it. Like, it's, it's actually a little more expansive than just Batman and Hulk, which is cool. Yeah, I, I read it when I was a kid. I, I had a... At one point, I had a trade paperback. Mm-hmm. I don't know what yeah, happened. Yeah, they, they used to get reprinted every so often. But from the late 90s into the 2000s, the Didio Quesada eras kind of prevented that, that sort of collaboration. Speaking of interesting artifacts, we have <laughs> next up a really great pinup with the X-Men versus Fantastic Four, possibly versus the Avengers. We've got Beast, Colossus, Strong Guy, Iceman, The Thing, and She-Hulk all looking like they're taking part in a snowball fight. I'm thinking Central Park. Looks like it. And clearly Iceman has the advantage. Yeah, unfairly so, I think. Because he can just shoot snowballs at people. But then we have this great little Captain America story. So this is Precious Gifts by Lynn Kaminsky. Story. Breakdowns by Ron Lim. Finishes by James Sanders. Roxanne Starr again on letters. Marie Javins is colorist. Alone on Christmas... Steve Rogers is volunteering at a VFW soup kitchen, basically. And the woman he's working alongside is reflecting on the reason she helps out here is because she lost her brother in the war. And her brother's name was James Buchanan Barnes. So, of course, Captain America realizes this is Bucky's sister, who he didn't know Bucky had a sister. This wouldn't work in the MCU, but that's okay. Yeah, this this is before... Bucky and Steve were lifelong friends before the military. Yeah, yeah. But Steve verifies that, yes, Bucky indeed had a sister. And in Queens the next day, Captain America shows up at this woman's door while in the middle of her Christmas with the family and tells her all about what her brother did, actually did, in the war. And he's like, I should go. And he's like, what about you? Who do you have to go home to? right now he's like well um and so she invites him to christmas with the family which this was a nice story this is exactly what you want from an early 90s captain america christmas story right like this story and the fantastic four story are the ones i really remember from this Mm -hmm. collection from this anthology it's also the one that feels like it actually adds something to the char- like it, it actually has some character development that moves people forward. Right. Rather than just sort of being a placeholder for a holiday special. Yep. You know, I, I mentioned the MCU here. Rebecca actually gets a name drop, um, or at least Bucky mentions having a sister who is still alive in, I think, the first episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Do you have any siblings? I have a sister. Oh, that's right. He does. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't play out the same way it does here because there is no, there'd be no way that Steve Rogers would not know that Bucky had a sister, but you could almost do a version of it. Like it wouldn't be the same story, Mm -mm. but I would not mind seeing an MCU version of this where it's like 
Bucky finally getting himself together enough to go home for the holidays. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be real nice. Right? Ooh. Ooh. What if Thunderbolts is a Christmas movie? That would be lovely. (laughs) And we have Bucky visiting his sister and her family. But also, I I have to say that there's also Steve throughout the issue being like, I don't have anyone to go home to for Christmas. Didn't he just get a girlfriend? Diamondback. Right. But that's like a recent development, like 1990, 1991. Yeah. Grunewald era. Yeah. Yeah. So. But he's got nobody. Yeah. I don't care. It's still a great story. It is still a great story. I love the idea of Captain America spending his Christmas with this family who up until a few minutes ago or a few a day ago he didn't know existed but of course now he knows they exist it means so much to him. the only problem yes. I have with it mm-hmm. he doesn't take the mask off right right that's true although is the, isn't this still the era of him maintaining secret identity yes but I feel like he should have trusted them with it yeah I could see that and that might be because of the whole you know post MCU era where everybody and their uncle knows who Steve Rogers is. Right. He's got a museum wing dedicated to it. Yeah, in Smithsonian. But again, you know, Captain America's Super Danny has always been kind of weird in the Marvel Universe. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it's gone from people knowing that Steve Rogers is Captain America, not knowing Steve Rogers is Captain America, da-da-da-da-da-da. It's one of those... It comes down to what the creators need in the story. The other thing I'll say is, I guess, using... Avengers access to shield databases is the 90s version of Facebook stalking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's accessing public records. So, right, he doesn't get any more information than you would now by Facebook stalking. Yes. In fact, it's a little bit easier than Facebook stalking would be, I think. Perhaps. Yeah. I hope it is. <laughs> but it's a really good story. It's one of the ones I remember from this this anthology very well. And plus, yeah. speaking of Diamondback, we have a very nice pinup of her and Captain America at the end here. Yep. Celebrating Christmas together. Yep. I like how she's lifting up Captain America's shield, which looks a little bit tiny there. But it's sized just right to be the star on the tree. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is nice. Yeah. I also, that actually, I like the bit in the story where Cap calls the kid over and, and is like, here, hold on to this for me for a little while, pal. So we have... Captain America's shield being the tree topper here. What's the geekiest yes. thing you ever use as, as a tree topper? Uh, okay. Um, I put Batman on the top of a tree once. How long did that last? Um, I did that for at least a couple of years. I put Tom Servo on top of a tree once. Oh, nice. How, how yeah. big was Tom Servo? Not huge. It was a little tiny one. Like okay. A little, little like desktop size one. It was a small tree. Um, currently, I have a Mario Power Star on my Christmas tree. Nice. Nice. Um, I put a Stormtrooper helmet on my tree one year. Oh, nice. Um, that lasted a few hours until my wife got home. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, never received too much pushback. On, uh, the line was drawn at Weeping Angel. I was told I could not have a Weeping Angel. Because you wouldn't be allowed to blink. <laughs> or turn your back on your Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, Good stuff. It really is. So, our next story is a ghostwriter story That's called right. Ghost of Christmas Presents. Right. Uh, uh, do, do you hear jingle bells? I, yeah. Actually, that's not, that's not bells. That's ice. Yeah. Sean McGinnis. What are you doing? When did you get here? Like, 
ghost of Christmas present. <laughs> Our scene opens up in a snow-covered field. A little girl is running. Her breath is steaming in the air as snow covers everything. Text boxes let you know what's going on. It's a lot to read, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> this little girl is scared. She's being chased. But what's wrong with her eyes? They aren't drawn in properly? Did the anchor forget something? No, she's blind. People are chasing her. She's been good all year. It's Christmas time. Is Santa coming? No. Don't let the bad men get me, Santa. Meanwhile, behind her, thugs, criminals, the vilest lot of humanity are chasing her down. They can't find this one little girl in the snowstorm. Everyone spread out. We're going to take this girl ransom, and we're going to get her rich parents to pay us. We're going to be living on easy street. The little girl gets grabbed by one of the men after coming into a graveyard, bumping into a headstone. When just as the man is about to grab her from off screen, a biker's chain smacks him across the face, breaking his jaw. The little girl gets to her feet, crawling as hard as she can. Who's there? Please, don't hurt me no more. I'll be good, promise. Are you wearing bells, mister? She hears the rattling of chains. And boots? Hey, are you? Chains and boots, are you Santa Claus? Standing before her is the spirit of vengeance. Ghost Rider. God, it's a good panel. It's a real good panel. <laughs> he is about to lay out vengeance upon evildoers. He grabs one man and throws him into the others, cracking the gravestones with their fall. He makes them feel the hellish weight of the penance stare. All the pain that they have ever caused anyone in their lives is magnified back onto them. Santa, I'm cold. Please take me home now. Can we ride in your sleigh? Yes! Mommy and Daisy can go real fast. Are they right? Boy, I'm so sleepy. The engine, born from the depths of hell, races through the snow, driving up the side of her house, leaving her at the top and depositing her inside. Her parents don't know how she got there, but they're so happy to see her. Santa made the bad men go away, and they hear the rumble of the ghostly engine tear off into the night. Santa? Yeah, and it sounds like his reindeer are still hungry. Merry Christmas, true believer! <laughs> so, um, how long have you been a Ghost Rider fan, Sean? I grew up in the Johnny Blaze era, and let's face it, Ghost Rider is not well written. <laughs> no, no. He, he does not have a very memorable rogues gallery. All right, it's basically the devil, and even the devil is Mephisto, which is the devil with the numbers fouled off, so that he can basically be a cosmic entity that's constantly after Daredevil and the Silver Surfer. Those are his prizes. Then along came that first magnificent issue of Danny Ketch's Ghost Rider. Oh, it was... Everything 90s. It was brutal. It was violent. He took no prisoners. And it wasn't just that he had the Hellfire, which just made you feel pain, that shook even Captain America to his core. It was 
the penance stare. Something that made you feel the pain that you had ever caused anyone else in your life. And again, these issues were still badly written. <laughs> but come on, you got to understand the era that Ghost Rider came up in. The very first one was in the Satanic Panic. All right? And you guys, you just don't understand what it was like back then. Black magic was something that was actively sought after. It was part of pop culture. Satanism was big. And it was really, I'm going to be honest with you, it was just counterculture. Just like emo music, like goth music, like heavy metal. It was just counterculture. So then comes along the Dan Ketch version. And then the Robbie Ray's version, which honestly, I, I poo-pooed when I first saw it. I was like, this is Vizard Ghost Rider from Bleach, <laughs> done with Mexican trappings. But the more I looked at it, I was like, you know what? We need different voices. Um, and they've done a very good job of fitting him into the mythology. A- absolutely. With, where he's not a replacement for Blaze or Catch, he is just another spirit of vengeance. I mean, just what he did in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. I would love to see the actor who played Robbie Ray's just go up against the guy who did Punisher in the uh, MC, uh, the actual MCU, oh, yeah. and just just find the bed that can hold that action. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is just freaking hot! Just these two gruff, dirty men just metting out vengeance, and there are different perspectives on it. And yeah, it's it is obviously inspired by the Day of the Dead motif, and definitely by the Visards in Bleach. But you know what? We need different voices. And I've been following it for the longest time. And again, Ghost Rider is terribly written. But it, the visuals just carry it so much. I mean, it's the ultimate power fantasy. Yeah, we want to be Captain America or Spider-Man, and we want to beat up the bad guy and get the girl. But don't you just want to take everyone who's ever hurt you in, their, in your life and make them feel what you have felt. That's what separates Ghost Rider from everyone else. He's not just an anti-hero. He is who you are inside. If you have been ever bullied, passed over, looked over, and he can, you know, and fortunately he doesn't have this, the problematic trappings of the Punisher, mm-hmm. who is a, sadly, I hate to say it, a right-wing icon. I feel very disturbed when I see a police vehicle with the symbol of a mentally damaged Vietnam vet ignored and forgotten by his own government breaking the law. Whereas Ghost Rider doesn't have that kind of problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just pure vengeance. And while we should always seek justice over vengeance, let's face it, Ghost Rider's that guilty pleasure. And this story is definitely a guilty pleasure. Like, you know, I have to say, as somebody who read his um, Spider-Man run in the early aughts, uh, this is the best Howard Mackey writing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, and and what we have here is the creator of Danny Ketch writing a Danny Ketch Christmas story. Yes. Because Howard Mackey was the guy who launched that volume of Ghost Rider. And this may have actually been the first Ghost Rider story I've ever seen. Now, I was familiar with Ghost Rider because, of course, I had the, um, was it Top Deck um, trading cards? Oh, I remember those. Or the, yeah, the, the, yeah, the Marvel trading cards where you'd have really cool artwork on one side and usually a little bit of a bio and some power levels and stuff on the back. Yeah, yeah, and so and of course I'd read Wizard Magazine by this point, so I was very familiar with Ghost Rider on a visual level. And it has a very um, iambic pentameter, while not in beat, to his speech. 
when you look at Doctor Strange, who would be very flourishing in his script, very esoteric, using big words. I mean, look, Ghost Rider has four lines in this entire story. I just counted it. The longest line, for it is time for all of you to look into your very souls. Time to feel the pain you have inflicted on this child and others. Time to taste this penance stare of... The Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. I mean, who doesn't see just a little bit of the Batman animated series mm-hmm. dialed up to 11? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's why he's always appealed to me. It's not just the power, it's the brutality of it. And I'll, I, I don't want to be that hero. All right, look, I identify way too much with Punisher and Ghost Rider. I want to be Captain America. I want to be Superman. I want to be Spider-Man. I want to be a symbol. But... Deep down, I know that I basically choose violence. I choose the spirit of vengeance. But he's a contrast we need. It's not that we glorify this. We need to show the full spectrum of the human emotion, of the human condition. We can have our Ghost Riders, our Punishers, just like we can have our Captain Americas, our Spider-Mans, and our Captain Marvels. And a thing that stands out to me in this story, and maybe it's because it's a Christmas story, maybe it's because... Howard Mackey is wanting to add some nuance to the character. He is not purely an instrument of vengeance. Yes, he, he takes revenge on behalf of the little girl by taking out all of those guys, but if he was purely vengeance, that's where he would stop. Right. But when she says, will you take me home, he says yes. Yep. And yep. that's that's taking a step beyond vengeance. That's where you see Danny shine through. Right. Like One of the things I have to tell people, vengeance, yes, it feels good, but let's face it, if Punisher really were in the Marvel Universe, he would be slaughtering innocents, because that's what vengeance does. It has a body count. Uh, You go to the grudge, the original Japanese grudge, Japanese horror flick, there's a collateral damage, because you're not focused on the object of your vengeance. It's just screaming randomly, and anyone who hears your scream takes collateral damage. And that's what Ghost Rider could be. He could just be, I'm going to beat people up, and to the victims of their violence, tough stuff. But the blood of the innocents has been spilled. Away! And he just comes in, whoops ass, he recognizes. You can even see his eyes change. Like, that's what I love so much about the Marvel Cup. They make <coughs> these skull eyes open and narrow like Spider-Man eyes. Mm-hmm. All right? And he, this little girl, Santa, cold. And he just pauses. It's no longer time for vengeance. Can you take me home now? Yes. And he also doesn't contradict her when she calls him Santa. No, that's what he he recognizes the value of innocence. She's been through. She's probably traumatized. As a matter, I know it. She is traumatized. She's already blind. She's having to rely on these other senses. People want to hurt her just for being alive, and they don't know why they want to hurt her. So he basically keeps that little myth so that she might have a chance to heal. A healing he will never feel himself. And that's the human element of the story. Something that's been missing from the Johnny Blaze stuff we've been bringing up to now. Because I don't know if you know, but this is the first Danny Ketch story we've talked about in the show because we've been doing an index show right. up to this point. Up, up until fairly recently, we were going issue by issue, chronological order, starting in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Johnny Blaze stuff was rough going. Oh, rough. We, we had to stop. <laughs> I mean, well, you gotta think about it. Like, all right, I am. I need to specify. I am agnostic. 
I believe that there is a higher power, but it cannot be defined by what we humans see. Death is inevitable, it is part of our condition, but why does it have to be so goddamn scary? Well, can't we just know what happens afterwards? And that's what makes hell so goddamn scary. But if you look in the original Bible, hell isn't really a place. Uh, it's, it's something that the church uses to control us and make us good little slaves. So you look in the Marvel Universe, they can't even really call hell, hell. It's just an alternate cosmic dimension, sort of like they did in Dungeons and Dragons. It's no longer hell. It's, oh, what did they start calling the races of demons? It's been a couple of decades. Infernals. Infernals, yeah. It's no longer hell. It's just an alternate dimension that's very hostile to humans. So now we have, like, do the kids today even understand what it would mean to sell your soul? Like, when you think about it. As many kids today are turning away from the church, and you don't have the satanic panic as much as you used to, except for when, oh, um, who did the uh, Call Me By Your Name? LGBTQ rapper, God, I, I hate, I can't remember his name, because that video is so fire. Uh, Lil Nas X. Yeah, Lil Nas X. That video just shows, look... I'm not scared of hell. I am who I am. I celebrate who I am. You can think I'm going to hell. Guess what? I'm going to take that and make it my power. And that video is amazing. And you just apply that to Marvel that, you know, hell is basically just another place, a dimension. It has agents in here like Mephisto, Hellstrom. Like, is Hellstrom even around anymore? He is. Yeah. I'm sure he's quite changed <laughs> in retcon. Um, you look at the hell that. Uh, the Robbie Ray's character brings. You know, I kind of poo-pooed the car, but I was like, no, this is kind of awesome. I mean, God, was it Matt Fraction who gave us uh, Ghost Rider on a Shark? <laughs> that, God bless you, Matt Fraction. You're one of my favorites. Well, and more recently, I forget, was it Jason Aaron? Jason who, Aaron. Whoever did the uh, Avengers 10 million BC. Or yeah. Whatever, it or has it was, to be Jason Aaron, yeah. Or it was Ghost Rider on, like, a flaming mastodon or something. That, you should air, that stuff you can airbrush onto the side of a van and it's dead sexy. I would get that tattoo. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you have a Ghost Rider tattoo. So. I do. I have, I actually have on my right calf the Seal of Vengeance, that is the Danny Ketch gas cap tattooed onto my leg and I fell asleep when it was getting tattooed which if you don't understand should be near impossible because tribal <laughs> tattoos require a hellacious amount of ink <laughs> um yeah it's well it's nice that we got a little bit of a religious message in this episode yeah because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Christmas you're supposed it to get is. a little bit of a religious episode but that being said Sean how the hell did you get in here <laughs> how did you get into my bar <laughs> uh, this isn't your bar. This is Trey's kitchen. <laughs> oh, well, you might want to restock on your liquor. Oh. <laughs> that was your liquor, right? Get out. <laughs> Merry Christmas, but get out. <laughs> Merry Christmas! And then we come to Merry Mutant Melodies 2, which I don't remember a Merry Mutant Melodies 1, Trey. No, I wonder if it was in a Treasury Edition or something. Something. But uh, these are popular Christmas Carol tunes. Um, Some. One of them's not. Okay, one of them. One of them is a Madonna song. Them, <laughs> I don't understand a Madonna song. We're not, we're, but, like, you may, you have probably noticed me and Trey <clears throat> singing a few of these throughout the episode. Not, That's not right. the Madonna song. We, we No. <clears throat> we stuck to the holiday yeah. ones. Um, but they are 
buy yourself another X-Men spinoff sung to the tune of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Right. Um, there's the 12 Days of X-Men sung to the tune of 12 Days of Christmas. Right. Um, there is Mutant Hunts, so Christmassy. <laughs> Which is to the tune of Jingle Bells. Yep. Yep. And then there is... Just tell us, Trey. Rogue to the tune of Vogue. No. Absolutely not. I draw the line there. Yeah. Yeah, I draw the line there, too. Interesting assortment of characters around the borders of these as well. Yep. Uh, songs, pencils, and colors are by Kelly Corvus. Wolverine there is looking especially like a uh, Kelly Jones Batman. Yeah. Yeah. His, his, his mask points are really, really tall. Feral's tail is way too long, like creepily so. Yeah, everyone's just a little bit off model on these pages. <laughs> it's okay, it's Christmas. Yeah, yeah. That's Shadowcat in her very, like, 80s, early 90s look. <laughs> Phasing through the page. That's a nice touch, actually. But yeah, Merry Mutant Mill. And then we go to an even, even weirder decision... That's right. Uh, the next story in this book, which again, this is a holiday anthology title featuring the most well-known and beloved Marvel characters that readers around the world know by by sight and and know their backstories and their supporting casts and everything about them. And so, of course, we come to the story featuring Captain Ultra. You remember Captain Ultra, right, James? Marvel superhero Captain Ultra? Um, kinda. Like, okay. I know he's a person in the Marvel Universe who exists, who's extremely powerful and has a vulnerability to fire. Yes. So he, gosh, Captain Ultra. So he initially appeared as a joke character in a Roy Thomas issue of Fantastic Four. Yeah. Uh, the the and you may remember this is a it's a story that's been adapted before into animation and other things. It's it's when they're on. It's one of those times when, in this case, the frightful four are having auditions, like to to bring in a new member of the team. Yeah, um, and they get really excited about Cap, about uh, Captain Ultra because of how powerful he is. Yes, because he's essentially he sometimes gets shorthanded as a Superman analog. Yes, closer thing is. He's a Martian Manhunter analog, thus the fire There thing. you go. Um, and so he shows off his powers and everyone is impressed. But then one of the other members of the Frightful Four lights a cigarette. Nice! Ah, fire! <laughs> Captain Ultra, super strong, flies, eye lasers, and is afraid of fire. Yeah, great. Next! And Captain Ultra faints. Yep. That's his first appearance in the Marvel Universe. His backstory is that he is a plumber who does some work for an elderly psychologist. The elderly psychologist is unable to pay, and so, as kind of a barter arrangement, agrees to use hypnosis to cure uh, the, the plumber's smoking habit. It turns out this psychologist was actually an alien, and the hypnosis that he used unlocked the plumber's innate superhuman potential. As you do. And so, he donned a very gaudy costume and became Captain Ultra. Yes. 
The costume is garish. It is yellow and blue and red and green. It is deliberately bad. Like Roy Thomas has talked about this before, that that he, uh, the the phrase he used was, I think, church window costume that looks like a stained glass window. Uh, okay. But yeah, he's always been kind of a joke character. Other times that he's shown up, when when defenders were taking new applicants, uh, he he tried to join the defenders. He teamed up with Thor once. The Great Lakes Avengers tried to recruit him, but he got angry and rejected them. Um, he was the leader of the Nebraska Initiative team during the, the 50 States Initiative. Of course he was. Uh, he was recruited by Wonder Man to join the Revengers in, I think that was the Heroic Age, like 2011 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that might have been his last major appearance. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's not... An especially well-known kid. In fact, even here, this is Christmas 1991. His last appearance before this was, again, a joke story in the September issue of What The? Number 15. Right. So Captain Ultra. So what is this story? Captain Ultra is flying through the air. People are celebrating that a superhero is nearby. Someone shouts, look, it's an Avenger. And he says, I appreciate the sentiment, but I'm not an Avenger. I was almost a Defender a long time ago. Oh. But then Thor flies by, knocking Captain Ultra out of the sky. And Captain Ultra realizes everyone was really excited about Thor, not him. It's basically that scene from Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad, where uh, Frank Drebin leaves an airplane to a, a cheering crowd, only to realize the crowd is actually there for Weird Al Yankovic. And you... Came down here to get the hot story, didn't you? Pictures of me to send you a lousy newspaper. Uh, Frank. Sure, you think I'm a big hero, the man of the hour? Well, do any of you understand how a man can hurt inside? Frank, they're not here for you. Weird Al Yankovic is on the plane. <laughs> uh, so Captain Ultra falls out of the sky, lands in the garbage. He has sort of a woe-is-me monologue. Um, He sees this other guy in a Santa suit calling himself a failure um, and and being a would-be superhero. Captain Ultra asks if he can help. The guy says that his Christmas tree was stolen. And what he means by stolen is he was putting presents under the tree, and as he was doing so, the tree got up and left the room. (laughs) Um Captain Ultra sa- uh, says something to the effect of tree rebellions are not on the li- his list of things to do. But suddenly, more and more people show up saying that their Christmas tree ran away as well. Um, and soon enough, the villainous plant man shows up. And he reveals that he has liberated the Christmas trees. Because cutting down Christmas trees every every year is causing unnecessary harm to the environment and is hurting the ozone layer. And so he is going to uh, use his powers to replant all of those Christmas trees. And Captain Ultra, rather than starting a fight, suggests a compromise. Uh, he, uh, he he replants all the trees. Ultra speed. Uh, one week later. So he allows everyone to celebrate Christmas. And then after Christmas is over, Ultra Captain Ultra uses his ultra speed to quickly replant all the dying Christmas trees, and Plant Man uses his powers to rejuvenate them. Yep. And Plant Man 
thanks Captain Ultra for actually solving the problem by thinking rather than just starting a fight the way most heroes would. Yeah. And as a Christmas present, Plantman gives him a new 90s style grimdark costume, which Captain Ultra uh, rejects because there's nothing wrong with the awful costume that he has. That is not true. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I had no idea who this dude was. Like, why would you? For, why would for, you? For the longest time, I thought I remember this story being about D-Man. Might as well be, honestly. I like D-Man more. D-Man is D-Man has the virtue of being a Captain America supporting character. Yes. So, but this guy was not in the Marvel trading card set from 1992, which is how I got no. most of my information about superheroes. So, right. I had no idea who he was. I also had no idea who right. Plantman was, but Plantman's pretty self-explanatory. Right, right. What is, what is that thing Plantman has there? It, it, Where? It, it's on page 62. It looks like okay. a Christmas sleigh, a Christmas tree sleigh. It's got like, right. it's got this little strut. It's a gold Christmas tree. And it's got like the struts at the bottom and he's pointing uh-huh. it at the trees Right. But I don't know what it is. It doesn't look like a gun. On page 63, there's a better look at it. It appears to be a Christmas tree-shaped ray gun that evokes his powers through. Yeah, it's his plant ray. Oh, God. It's his plant ray. Why are you calling me ray? (laughs) But, like, as a kid, I'm like, no, Ultraman. (laughs) Sorry, Captain Ultra. This is a much better costume than the one you have. Take it. It actually is. It has a clean logo on it. The, the one downside is it looks a little bit like Doctor Strange's tunic. Yes. But yeah, um, if this story had a recognizable protagonist, it would actually be a pretty good Christmas story. How so? Well, just, I mean, just in that, like, it, it's fun. It's clever. I, I like the idea of, on Christmas, a hero deciding to solve the problem without violence. Yeah. It's like... That's a nice sentiment. We're just a bunch of lovable slobs. Ah. Uh, huh. Like, they are making that face on page 63. Where they're like, yeah, they are. shrug, sitcom shrug. Huh. Uh. Right. It's like, us D-listers gotta stick together, right? Yeah. Oh, boy. It's interesting. You know what? The ultimate sign of disrespect, Captain Ultra doesn't even get the pinup that follows his own story. That's okay. It's a Spider-Man pinup. The Spider-Man one's better. Speaking of Spider-Man, our last story features the wall crawler, and it is a Spider-Man Carol. Writer is Danny <laughs> Fingeroff, penciler is Ron Garland Garney, inker is Mike DiCarlo, colorist is Steve Brusoletto, 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 letterer is Richard Starkey. Our story begins. Uh, hey James. Do you know when you guys are going to be done? Uh, Lily, what are you doing here? Uh, well, I mean, I came with James because I expected this to be a 15-minute thing. I don't know. It's been a couple hours, guys. It's okay. We're on our last story. Wait, wait a minute. James. Yeah? You left Lily in the car this whole time? It's fine. I cracked a window. James. Yeah? It's December. That's worse. What? She's fine. She's got a phone and, you know, tick-tocky. I can't feel my toes. Lily, please come inside. Join us. Do you like Spider-Man? 
I, well, I have a love-hate relationship with Spider-Man. Do you like bourbon? Yes. I mean, no. I mean, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sit down. I'll pour you a bourbon, and you can tell us about this Spider-Man story. Oh, is this going to be like drunk history? I can do this. (laughs) It depends on how quickly it hits you. (laughs) All right. Here we are, Spider-Man, A Christmas Carol. We start out seeing Spider-Man swinging above the streets. He spots an ambulance who is stuck in traffic, picks up an unsuspecting taxi so that the ambulance can go straight to the hospital, and swings to the hospital himself. He shows up as Peter Parker to J. Jonah Jameson's Christmas party with the kids, takes a couple of photos, or, well... To J. Jonah's chagrin, one photo of him giving a huge check to the hospital and switches into his amazing Spider-Man costume. He comes back in to greet the kids while J. Jonah is yelling at him to get out. This makes those kids real upset as, you know, they want to see Spider-Man. Spider-Man's pretty awesome to them. Not to J. Jonathan. J. Jonah. Uh, meanwhile, we see some armed intruders entering the lower levels of the hospital and plotting to get a safe. We switch back to the kids regaling J. Jonas- J. Jonah Jameson of these amazing things Spider-Man has done. Has saved a kid falling from the terrace. Has lifted up a hospital to help uh, hospital workers get out. One of these hospital workers is a little girl's dad. And we switch right on back to those armed robbers. They end up being in the wrong room and try and take a nurse hostage. We switch back to more amazing stories of Spider-Man saving the day, including J. Jonah Jameson's family themselves. These kids are really trying hard to uh, make J. Jonah Jameson uh like Spider-Man. It's not working. It's not working, folks. Uh, these armed robbers fought on their way to the safe a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and start a fight. After this fight, they go take the kids hostage. This is not a good situation. We're not happy. Spider-Man kicks some robber booty and J. Jonah Jameson ends up helping save the day while one of these Uh, Robbers takes a kid hostage. We end with Spider-Man swinging out and J. Jonah saying that he'll lay off Spider-Man until the new year. So this is a cute story. Yeah. It kind of, in some ways, it's similar to the X-Men story we started with in that it's kind of a nostalgia piece. Yes. But I think it handles that nostalgia better by being set in the present with occasional flashbacks. Yes. And they're all flashbacks to stories that we've seen before in Spider-Man. Right, and stories that any Spider-Man fan at the time would have some awareness of. Because they're the stories you always come back to. Yeah, the very famous The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man story. Right. Even stuff like the the vulture fighting the, the imposter vulture. Like, I remember, like, like that's, that's a notable thing in terms of vulture appearances. Yes, that is Blackie Drago. Right, right. Such a terrible name. Yes, agreed. Something I am a little bit concerned about 
it does appear that every child that Spider-Man has ever met is in the hospital. Well, so, <laughs> in some cases, it's the parents of the kids that Spider-Man had met. Okay, so at least it's not the cancer ward. <laughs> oh, but, but yes, you're right. A disconcerting number of those children have Spider-Man stories. <laughs> <laughs> this is, again, one of those stories which I feel like stuck in my memory especially with the bits about Jonah. Mm -hmm. Like, I read this... For one thing, I read this before The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. But, like, the idea of Jonah relenting for just a little bit was fun. Those are always some of my favorite Spider-Man stories. The one where Jonah just can't help but be decent. Yeah. For once in his life. Those are always satisfying stories. I am pretty sure that I had read the Amazing Spider-Man number one reprint at that point, so I was aware of, like, the story where Spider-Man saves John Jameson. Mm-hmm. Well, so I was familiar with that. But this is really like an education in Spider-Man, if you were a young kid. Yeah. Lily, I know you, you're probably not too familiar with a lot of stuff happening here. I'm not, but it was a lovely, lovely experience. Um, I was definitely expecting more of a uh, three ghosts with Jonah situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be a good story. I really love I love the way that it turned out, and I love reading about how Spider-Man is super, super indiscriminate. I mean, he even saved the family of the person who hates him the most. So, I I, I did love that a lot. He has saved Jonah's family a lot. Yes. He, he has also <laughs> been unsuccessful in saving Jonah's family a lot. This is also true. Um, the wife that um, you see here and... um, is now dead. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, killed by the... Uh, it, was, it wasn't Scorpion, was it? I don't think so. It was Spider no. Slayers. That sounds right. Spider Slayers. Um, and, and, of course, the astronaut's son ends up being a science fiction werewolf for a while. Manwolf, yeah. Right, right. As you do. I mean, I'm pretty sure I mean, Scott Kelly is a werewolf. <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to ask Mark. <laughs> At least we get one werewolf in the Senate. <laughs> I, I, I do like that we get a little bit of the Parker luck in the middle with the, the water pipe bursting. Yeah, that was fun. Yes. That the fight can't go entirely his way all at once. No. He can't be too awesome. Right, right. But it also opens up the doors for, for Jonah to do something good for yes. once. You know, that was cool. Yes. We like that. And of course, Jonah is going to spin this like, I saved the kids when Spider-Man did nothing. Right, because right. Spider-Man doesn't of hang course. around to take any of the praise. No. That no good menace was about to turn tail and run away. <laughs> it's 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 a fun Christmas story. It's it's like many of these stories, it's it's unconsequential. But But it but it's still a nice character piece. Yeah. It's a fun little character piece. And really, that's the most you can ask for for a, a Christmas special anthology that, you know, isn't even gonna be on the newsstands for most people. Yeah. It, it, it's it gives everyone, it sort of spotlights a bunch of familiar characters, but puts them in seasonal situations that maybe aren't as typical of what you'd see in their regular book. Right. And then also there's a Captain Ultra story. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but this is the kind of comic book stories that I like the most. No drama, no funny stuff, just we're having a good time, has a good ending, there's some funny jokes... I like it. I like it. And I think that perfectly summarizes the whole holiday special, honestly. 
Yeah, it's these little, like, this is what, like a 12, 15-page story, something like that? 15 pages, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it does exactly what you want a story of that length to do. And the nice thing about this special is this would be a great gift to get. It is a hefty bit of book. It is, all, what, 80 pages? 80 pages. For $2.25? I, yeah. I know from experience that a young kid <clears throat> would read this for hours. And because it's an anthology, it's 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 one book but lots of stories. And that increases the rereadability in some ways. Because you go back to the ones you liked and you you know, you, you maybe skim through it one way, you, you skip through to other stories another time. It, 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 it's the sort of book that, that, again, a kid would get a kick out of. Especially if they didn't get access to comics very often. I agree. I feel like so a great and fun way to introduce people who may not be as familiar with the characters to new characters this anthology oh yeah yeah like the ghost rider story is perfect for that the spider-man story yeah. is perfect for that and honestly the Captain Ultra story now, is terrible for that but <laughs> yes but, but even now if you if you know most people know at least a little bit about marvel because of the movies but even someone who only knows bits of the mcu you could put this book in front of them, and for the most part, they'd probably be fine with it. Who are the Fantastic Four? We're getting there. We're working on it, okay? We're working on it. <laughs> Yon Gruffled. Remember that? Remember remember the the, the the one where Captain America was Human Torch? Oh, okay. <laughs> Nobody remembers that. I only remember, remember America's ass. <laughs> Hello. You're absolutely right. Um, so... Tell you what, Lily, Trey and I are going to go ahead and do the outros. Why don't you go wait in the car? I'll be there in just a minute. Can I bring the bourbon this time? Um, Sure, why not? You're driving. Cool. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Lily. Thank you for having me. With that said, after these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Brian, the host of Inner Demons, the Ghost Rider podcast. And since 2017, Inner Demons has been the best place on the web for news, reviews, and regular discussion with our listeners about Marvel's Spirit of Vengeance, Ghost Rider. You can find us on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast catchers, as well as on Twitter, at InnerDemonsGR. Remember, listening to your Inner Demons is not always a bad thing. Ride on. The first day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me a bisque of wolverines. On the second day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me two identities and a bisque of wolverines. On the third day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me Three sharp claws, two identities, and a bisque of wolverines. On the fourth day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me 
four. Murray Farrell's three. Cheryl Falls, two. Claws, two. Identities. And a fist of Wolverines. On the fifth day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me five fruity quarts. Four furry, Four furry ferals, three sharp claws, two identities, and a bisque of wolverines. On the, On the sixth, sixth day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me six cables shooting five fruity quartz. Three furry ferals, three sharp, three sharp claws, two, two identities, and a bisque of wolverines. On the seventh day of Christmas, Christmas Xavier gave to me seven banshees screaming, six, six cables, cables shooting, five ruby quartz, four, four furry ferals, three sharp claws, two identities, and a bisque of wolverines. On the, On the eighth day, day of Christmas, Christmas my true Xavier gave to me eight, eight Megan's shifting, seven Banshees screaming, six, six cables shooting, shooting five ruby quartz, four, four furry barrels, three sharp claws, two identities, and a bisque of wolverines. On the ninth day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me Nine kitties facing Megan, eight Megan's shifting, seven banshees screaming, six cables shooting, five ruby quartz, four furry ferals, three sharp claws, two identities, and a bisque of wolverines. On the tenth day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me ten icemen chilling, nine kitties facing, eight Megan's shifting, seven banshees screaming, six six cables shooting, five ruby quartz, four furry ferals, three sharp claws, two identities, and a bisque of wolverines. On the eleventh day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me. Eleven gambits dealing, ten icemen chilling, nine kitties facing, seven Megan's shifting, seven seven banshees screaming, six cables shooting, five ruby quartz, four furry ferals, three sharp claws, two identities, and a bisque of wolverines. On the twelfth day of Christmas, Xavier gave to me. Twelve plot lines hanging, eleven gambits dealing, ten icemen chilling, nine kitties phasing, eight megans shifting, seven banshees screaming, six cables shooting, five ruby quartz, four furry barrels, three sharp claws, two identities, and a bisque of wolverines. Maybe the Sentinels want to something. Y'all better appreciate this. You hear me? You hear me, listeners? Y'all better appreciate this. <laughs> oh, God, that's painful. And you can keep that in. Cookie crisp, cookie crisp, very cookie crisp. Little cookies, lots of chips that you can't resist. Cookie crook and chip in a one dog open sleigh. Crashing through the snow, laughing all the way. Bells on cops out 
crisp is the very part of this complete breakfast. Now there's a Marvel Spider-Man trading card. Free inside specially marked boxes of Cookie Crisp. Welcome back, lovely listeners. And again, thank you so much for joining us on a very special episode of the Doom of Ideas. That's right. In fact, in addition to being our holiday episode, this is wrapping up 2022 for us. Yep, we'll be back in the first week of January. Uh, but until then, you can always reach out to us. Our email address is tombofideas at gmail.com. We are on Twitter while it's uh, still there. Right. It's uh, at Tomb of Ideas. And uh, as we record this, we are prohibited from sharing any other social media links on Twitter. So we'll go ahead and tell you where else to find us here in the episode. That's right. We're on Instagram at Tomb of Ideas. And we're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas. And, Trey, I'm pretty sure we're allowed to say that we're proud members of the Cinepunks family still. Yes, Cinepunks, with an X, is not banned by Elon Musk, probably because he has never heard of it. But you have now heard of it, and Cinepunks is the place where you can find our entire back catalog, as well as other great podcasts, including Cinema Smorgasbord, uh, the Carnage Report, Horror Business, Twitch of the Death Nerve, and much, much more. So <laughs> check out Cinepunks with an X dot com. Elon gets cold this year. <laughs> but you, Trey, you get something a little bit, well, better than cold. Oh, really? Yep. Here you go. Oh, y- you shouldn't have. I mean, oh, oh, let's let's see here. Yeah, it it's a little awkward now, but um, it's a Punisher comic. It, yeah, it it it's Frankencastle. You really, really shouldn't have. I know, but this seems like a great way to kick off a new year. Yep, with our buddy Frank Castle and the whole Legion of Monsters. That's right. So we'll be back next episode, looking at issues Punisher issues. 11, 12, and 13. And I have no idea what volume that is. It's the one that says Frankencastle in the collected edition. And Dark Reign, The List, The Punisher. Yes, Dark Reign, The List. Because this is a Dark Reign tie-in, y'all. Yeah. (laughs) We we, we got government operative and Avenger Norman Osborn running around. Yep. But until then, Tomb Believers, as always, from the entire Tomb of Ideas family... Happy Holidays! Merry Christmas! Happy Holidays! Happy Holidays! Happy Horrific Holidays, Tomb Believers! (laughs) Happy Holidays! Happy Holidays! You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tomb Believers... Excelsior! <laughs>